Does the Mormon faith have a secret history? Bishop Earl and I will talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? I have a book and it's entitled Secret History. It was published in 1876, written by a Danish man, John Amundsen. Amundsen. The author was a disillusioned Mormon convert who had immigrated from Denmark. Um, and it's a story that he wrote of his own experiences as a Mormon convert, and he wrote it in 1876 after he had discovered that he and thousands of other European converts had been lied to by the Mormon missionaries. They had been deceived about Mormonism and especially about polygamy. <laughs> but the, by the time they arrived in Salt Lake City from the, on their journey uh, from Europe, and discovered the truth, it was too late for the average convert to change her or her mind and go back home, although a few of them were able to do that. Some of what he writes about were secrets in those days, but today, especially with the internet, much of it isn't so secret anymore. However, we thought, <clears throat> excuse me, that we would share from his viewpoint what a 19th century disillusioned Mormon from Denmark had to say about Brigham Young, polygamy, the Book of Mormon, and other aspects of this new religion called Mormonism. <laughs> now, perhaps some of our viewers will come to understand after this particular show that none of these events or doctrines could possibly have originated from God. The introduction to the English translation tells us that the original Danish title was A Mohammed of Our Time. And of course, this is referring to Joseph Smith. <laughs> right. He claimed to be, and people saw Joseph Smith as a modern Mohammed, someone who claimed religious revelation, condoned polygamy, and child marriages. <laughs> In the preface, the author reveals uh, the purpose of his book. And we'll share it with you. On page 13, he says, <clears throat> The purpose of this little present, I'm sorry, the purpose of this present little essay is to give to the Danish public a condensed historical account of the origin and spread of Mormonism, and also to unveil the mysterious and deceptive system on which it is based. It is nevertheless by no means my purpose to accuse all those who call themselves Mormons as being partakers of or involved in such crimes as these. And that's an interesting comment. Yeah. And we would have to agree with that too because most of the regular members of the LDS <laughs> church and also of polygamy groups really do not know and are not involved with, they're not aware of all of the awful things that the leadership has done and that's are true. doing and have yeah. covered up and, and all of that. But we have to also understand that Mormon history is polygamy group history as sure. well. The author tells of the Mormon missionaries who traveled European countries gaining converts to the Mormon church. They taught that the true Christian church died out, it needed to be restored, and it was restored to and by Joseph Smith. The early missionaries taught that the scattered saints would gather together in Zion and Jesus Christ was coming back very soon. And they gained many thousands of European converts as missionaries made promises that if they came to Mormon Utah, <laughs> that they could enjoy the kingdom of God on earth. The author was concerned and became a missionary, or was converted and became a missionary for the Mormons. And then he served a mission to Norway yeah. and later returned back to Denmark. After his time in Norway, he 
came across quite a surprise. <laughs> he wrote this. During my missionary tour in Norway, Mormonism had undergone a substantial change in the capital of Denmark. The doctrine of polygamy had been announced as a divine revelation, and although it was known as yet only in a very modified form, nevertheless it had a disturbing and demoralizing effect upon many of the elders as well as upon the church as a whole. Well, it would be demoralizing, yeah, wouldn't it? Be quite surprising. Now, this revelation about polygamy was a serious stumbling block, he wrote, and even though it was still present in a vague and mystic, um, and mystic light, in other words, they didn't understand it, right. they just knew that, that's, that it was there. Yeah. But the worst feature of the matter was that the Mormon missionaries had, up until that time, denied the existence of polygamy in the Mormon religion, even though some of the missionaries were polygamous themselves as they were denying it. This, he said was what plain language calls a deliberate lie. And those who are familiar with the true Mormon history recognizes that lying for the Lord was a standard practice. After learning the techniques of the missionaries and, and some of uh, these new Mormon doctrines, he realized the truth of their strategy. And I find this extremely yeah, this interesting. Is, this is interesting. Mormonism is not stupidity or dementia. On the contrary, it is an excellently elaborated system for bringing people under a perfectly despotic priestly power, but only with extreme caution and only gradually is this imparted to proselytes. The, the, the milk and then the meat, right? Yeah. Now, Earl, I, have a, I, I want to ask you this. Reading these statement, this statement is, is pretty profound, I think. Well, Would you say, in hindsight that this is the case today, would you agree now, over 150 years later, that it is an elaborate system under to bring oh, absolutely. people under control well, in the priesthood? Even in my mission, and, and I went to Denmark, by the way, on my yeah. mission, <clears throat> we don't talk about much in depth, and it's mostly about the first vision, Joseph Smith, uh, the Book of Mormon, the plan of salvation. I think they emphasize even more now, families are forever. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that are talked about. Becoming God. So it's a planned... Oh, of course. A, a, a planned, shallow yeah. teaching. Well, to get, to get people interested and to... Uh, they touch a little bit in the Bible. They quote a few scriptures that are taken out of context. Yeah, I have yeah, since learned. Yeah. Um, and so it's just basic. And it's, it's to draw people in, make them feel good. Missionaries are very adept and taught to uh, nurture and encourage people. And a lot of people come into the church because of the missionary that's mm -hmm. presenting mm -hmm. the message. So it's, it's designed not to tell them real doctrine and, and deep theology. Not until later. But it's more superficial. And he kind of talks about that as we go on. Yeah. We're going to see how right. how step by step he was, they, the, the, the converts were sucked into right. more and more control yeah. and, and good standing. So, so I, think, I think it still goes on. It, it certainly is the case in polygamy yeah. groups. Yeah, you know, it I'm definitely sure. is is elaborate system, he said, for bringing people under a perfectly despotic yeah. priestly power. And, 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 and I do believe that's true. And for these people to be immigrating to America, 
they get caught <laughs> learning mm -hmm. the truth later they have nowhere else to go and they, they spend all their money coming here right, so they had nothing so they, have, they um, were stuck kind of locked. they were caught in a trap that's and we, right and then we learn other things and, about getting and, out too. yeah and he yeah we're going to learn some of that too <laughs> right. of what he went through and some others did yeah. um so in april of 1856 162 mormon converts from uh copenhagen denmark mm -hmm. um and left to travel to America and then to Utah. And the author of the book was appointed as the leader of that particular group of immigrants. A little over a week later, they arrived in Liverpool, England, and, and they were all in good condition, excited to come back. And then they joined 608 English and Scottish, Scottish converts who wow. were traveling to Mormons Zion. On May 4th of 1856, they began their journey across the Atlantic Ocean. And he says, it, nothing spectacular happened on the journey. Um, there were three births and two marriages and I think six deaths. But other than that, it was a pretty good journey <laughs> over the Atlantic. But by the time he and his companions were ready to travel west to Salt Lake City after the, the, the ship landed or docked or whatever you call it, Brigham Young had come up with the idea of the flimsy handcarts <laughs> rather than the sturdy and, the, and roomy wagons that had been used before. Uh, the author says this was a stupid, foolish, and deadly decision on the part of Brigham Young. Yeah, he says this. In the handcart train consisted of about 500 persons. The provisions were calculated according to a daily ration for each man at one pound of wheat flour, two and a half ounces of meat, two ounces of sugar, two ounces of dried apples, one quarter ounce of coffee, along with a little tea, soda, and soap. The fifth division consisted of 93 Scandinavians, for which I was appointed leader, but the honor connected with this post was slight, and the advantages even less than that. <laughs> so, so notice these were rations per person per, per day, day, which is yeah. very scant, isn't yeah, it? it and, is. and I think it's notable that they had tea and coffee. I do too. Explain that. <laughs> now, the author happened to be in one of the handcart companies that ended up suffering so horribly during the winter half yeah. of their deadly journey. And of course, it resulted in a, a appalling misery and death. And the most tragic is that it all could have been avoided. There are many books that have been written that lays out the details of the Mormon handcart fiasco, yeah. but it's bothersome that they hold annual celebrations, the Mormon church does, of the handcart tragedy, yeah. especially when the facts are known that it was all because of Brigham Young's greed and, and that it even happened. And, the, and yet they celebrate it. Yeah. He said that he lost some respect for Brigham Young as a result of this catastrophe. He also mentioned a, a George Kimball, a son of Heber C. Kimball, whom he labeled as the Snow Prophet. <laughs> they were traveling <clears throat> dangerously close to the beginning of winter storms, and many of them wanted to winter in Florence, which was a thousand miles yet from Salt Lake. But the Snow Prophet wouldn't consider a delay, we quote. Yeah, and you wonder what the purpose of this yeah. rush to Salt yeah. Lake was. But he says this, But the oldest son of the prophet, Heber C. Kimball, then rode into camp and delivered a speech in which he sternly rebuked those of little faith. And he promised that he would stuff into his mouth all the snow they would ever get to see on their journey to the valleys. Always oh, so bold statements, yes. isn't it? With this, of course, every doubt had to vanish altogether. Yeah, well... Yeah. Their journey proceeded 
and they were caught in severe winter weather. Hand carts were breaking down. People were starving. They were freezing. They were unable to travel in these conditions. Relief wagons were sent <clears throat> from Salt Lake, but that was too little too late mm -hmm. by the time they arrived. George Kimball, the snow prophet, led the relief train, one of the relief trains, to the stranded, freezing, and starving pioneers, but it was obvious that his courage had been <laughs> deflated when he got there. The author said that he planned to present his complaint to Brigham Young for all of his misery and death. The result of his complaint was less <laughs> than satisfying. The next morning, which was therefore October 24th, 14 immigrants were found frozen dead in our camp. Two more died later on in the day. They were all buried in a large rectangular grave, which because of the cold had to be dug out in the ground by oxen. This was the first fruit of the forced march of George Kimball, the snow prophet. The resentment toward him was quite general. I myself was simple-minded enough to threaten him that I would present a complaint against him to Brigham Young. Oh, you trusting simpleton. The prophet laughed right in my face. It was no longer necessary for him to wear the mask of his counterfeit holiness through the Mormon sheep fleece, sheep's fleece, the wolf's claws were beginning to show. Ooh, that must have been quite a conversation. <laughs> yes, it must have been. Well, after they arrived in Salt Lake and settled in, it describes how Brigham Young ruled the lives of those who lived in Zion. He describes the beehive house, and Brigham Young is the lion of the Lord who ruled the house, and in residence were 17 or 18 of his Brigham Young's wives and their children. The beehive house, of course, is now a proud historical landmark in downtown right. Salt Lake, but it did house a lot of pain and misery in those days. Now, chapter 4, he described the life that was lived out by the residents of this kingdom of God in Zion in those days. He said this about the political setup of the Mormons. This is the political setup of the Mormons, but like all other despots, the prophet has his secret police or his private murder gangs completely compliant to his will, who in line with the rest of their sanctity are called Danites or destroying angels. Porter Rockwell and Bill Hickman have become notorious in the history of the Mormon community as the commanders of these gangs. The sinister feature about this system is that it is permeated by an in inescapable spy system which, like a poisonous lizard, slithers about and nourishes itself in every family. He's quite graphic yeah, in I some of his... I like the way he wrote The way it, yeah. he explains this. Yeah. Well, he said his family... And most Mormon families regularly attended the tabernacle, and it was always filled up with those who called themselves saints. But despite their self-identification as saints, he realized that spiritually it was actually an empty desert. He noticed that the spirit and the teachings of Christ had no dwelling place in their lives. And even today, the, they follow familiar. Mormon doctrine yeah. rather than what Jesus taught. Well, his comments about this are very interesting. We perceived also that Mormon doctrine was an unhappy conglomeration that swings like a spiritual chaos between the Christian faith and Bible and the revelations of the Mormon prophet. The question that Mormonism cannot dispose of is whether the American boy with the golden plates is to be preferred to the history of Jesus, the child of Bethlehem. Oh, and you know, I almost <laughs> cried when I read that. It's, yeah. it's over a hundred years later, and Mormondom has answered the question, 
and sadly the American boy with the gold plates won the contest yeah. with the Mormon church. That's true. The author affirms Brigham, Young, Brigham Young's teachings of blood atonement, that the personal shedding of blood was required for sins that Jesus Christ's blood uh, cannot cover. Now the blood atonement doctrine was taught despite the denials yeah. of mo the modern Mormon church. This book was written in 1876. The author was there. He saw it. He heard it preached. We quote. The Mormons believe and teach that there are certain sins in Zion which can be atoned for only by the shedding of blood or blood atonement. By this, they do not mean sins or transgressions against the civil law, but sins, ag sins against the Mormon church and the priestly ordinances. I myself have heard older mothers say in Salt Lake City that they would not hesitate to perform this bloodshed in the case of their own offspring if they fell away or denied the faith, since this was the only way of salvation for them. And, you know, this goes back to a previous show that we did not too long ago where they loved the church more than they loved their own children, more than they loved their own family. Yeah. It's just tragic. And, and so diminishing the, the sacrifice of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely takes that away. But as, as we can see, they considered apostasy as one of those unforgivable sins. Right. He talks in great detail about the financial shenanigans that Brigham Young was involved in, sometimes leaving faithful but delusional Mormons financially destitute with no hope or help coming from his holy leadership, he said, Brigham Young. And upon seeing all the hypocrisy, the changing of doctrinal dogma, the immorality that characterized the Zion, this Zion, he said, he and hundreds of other converts decided to get out. But they had to plan carefully so that they would be safe from Brigham Young's henchmen. It was my decision to leave Utah in company with several compatriots and go to California early in the following year. But because of the fearsome threats, which were constantly uttered against apostates and heathens, our decision was altered and we determined to travel back to the eastern states in company with the larger groups that were gathered in Salt Lake City and organized for mutual security. Isn't that awful? <laughs> it is. <laughs> they had to travel in large groups so that they wouldn't to be secure. Attacked, yeah. Right, yeah. so that they would be safe. Well, it was physically dangerous to be an apostate, uh, apostate when Brigham Young ruled the kingdom. They were actual murders of people who had decided to leave Mormon Zion. Now, John D. Lee wrote an autobiography, so did Wild Bill Hickman, and I've I've read Wild Bill Hickman's and a lot of, of John D. Lee's, and, and this happened. It actually happened. And now to back this up, he quoted one of Brigham Young's threats, which is published in the Journal of Discourses. And now we know why they don't use the Journal of Discourses yes, very much. Yes, absolutely. I say rather than that apostates should flourish here, I would unsheath my bowie knife and conquer or die. Well, that's a threat to <laughs> yeah. apostates who would dare sure leave. He left Utah April 18, 1857 with a large company of converts who were also deeply disappointed with the Mormons' promised land. Now, no early history of Mormonism is complete without getting deep into their teaching and practice of polygamy. Yeah. He makes mention of John Taylor, who worked for the propaganda agency in France in 1850. Now, Taylor, when he was there, was challenged by the French people about the Mormons' practice of polygamy, and he categorically denied it. 
while at the same time, John Taylor had four wives in Utah and was making negotiations for his fifth wife. More evidence of their lies to protect their Mormon God, despite the fact that their own Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi 9.34, warns them all that all liars will be thrust down to hell. That doesn't count in lying for the Lord? I guess not, apparently, because they did it. He wrote about the Mormons' thinking in those days concerning polygamy. The theory on which the Mormons support their polygamy, in the pre-existing spirit world, there is a number of spirits who are destined to be born on earth. For this reason, the Mormons are very zealous to bring forth a pure and chosen seed by the aid of heavenly marriage and sealings. Furthermore, the Mormons are going to reign in the future world as kings and priests, etc., but it is well to note that it will be only over their own family, and so the more wives and children a Mormon can come by down here, the greater are his prospects for his future kingdoms. Those who do not take part in the heavenly marriages of New Zion can attain to no better than the status of servant personnel in heaven. So how do you like those apples? <laughs> yeah. be a servant forever, I yep. guess. He wrote about divorces, uh, saying that there, they were rampant in Utah, that Brigham Young alone had the authority to seal and dissolve the celestial marriages, and it was a very lucrative business. He said that if, if he sealed a couple for time, it cost $10. <laughs> but if he sealed them for all eternity, it was $50. <laughs> so we wonder, did Brigham Young really think he was doing God's work, or was, was oh. he just delusioned, greedy, what was he this yeah, all about? I'd probably go with greedy. <laughs> <laughs> the author writes about the Book of Mormon, or as it was often referred to as the Golden Bible, and the spurious accounts of Joseph Smith receiving possession of the gold plates. Even today, at this late date, we know that the Book of Mormon is a false document. It has been disproved just by internal evidence, which we have discussed on other shows. Joseph Smith related some very wild stories about angelic visits and visions. And keep this in mind as we quote the author's affidavits on what the Smith family neighbors thought of Joseph Smith and his family. Yeah, we were talking earlier how often a family creates this kind of <laughs> yes, notice, Yes, it says, and this is from 11 signatures, uh, seven, 11 people signing, it is unlikely that God would especially choose an immoral and mendacious person as his instrument for the salvation of men. Many honestly verified testimonies have been contributed by his neighbors and personal acquaintances, some of them we cite at this point. We, the undersigned, are personally acquainted with Joseph Smith Sr.'s family, with whom the so-called Golden Bible had its origin, and we can testify that the male members of the family were not only lazy and indolent, but they fall into drink and their word is not to be trusted. We are very glad to be rid of their fellowship. Wow. And this is a legal affidavit in Manchester yeah. County, New York, and it had 11 signatures. Right. The next one is is a, a tip, the, the same type of affidavit signed by 71 people who knew the Smith family well. We, the undersigned, have known the Smith family for several years while they were living in the vicinity of this place, and we can testify that we regard them as lacking in such a moral character as could make them deserving of trust in any society whatever. 
In particular, they are notorious for their projects of revelation, and they spend a good deal of time digging for treasure which they claim is hidden in the earth. The older Smith and his son Joseph, in particular, are regarded as lacking in moral character and inclined to crime. Wow. Wow. And this is the one that so many people are relying upon his teachings and his polygamy for salvation. This is serious, is really serious. serious stuff. Signed by 71 serious. people. These testimonies are not mere gossip, and they're not petty. Dozens of people verified the moral character of Joseph Smith and the family. One of Joseph Smith's most intimate friends, Peter Ingersoll, Ingersoll, who knew him well, said that Joseph Smith told him that the whole story of retrieving the gold plates was a fictional adventure, a hoax, that there were no gold plates, but he said, and I quote, I have got the fools fixed, and I shall go on with the play. <laughs> and that's exactly what Mormonism is, a hoax. Polygamists and LDS would do well to research their religion, since they are placing their eternal salvation on an admitted hoax, a fraud, a snow job, a massive deception that's all been covered up. Yeah. Brigham Young brought the hoax idea forward <clears throat> when later he said this. We shall pull the wool over the eyes of the American people and make them swallow Mormonism, polygamy and all. And we've quoted this before. We'll probably quote it again because it is so telling. And this is all history. It's not anti-Mormon propaganda unless Mormon history is anti-Mormon <laughs> propaganda yeah and that's what it is and, and and this is part one we've got two parts to this particular <laughs> one there was quite a bit in the book and of course we couldn't cover everything but we wanted to cover some essential things it's a it's amazing and you asked originally about our uh, what we we missionaries would share with people um, we certainly didn't talk about this and it's amazing that they would deny polygamy when they actually were practicing it uh, at the yeah. same time. And they did it for years. That's the yeah. whole trouble of it. They didn't just do it for a few months. They did it for uh, denied it for years. Well, and I think you mentioned it. many times about the old section 101, mm -hmm. 101, that said that we only believe in one, or we, but Mormonism only has one, or believes in one wife, one husband. At a time, exactly. At the same time they're practicing polygamy. Right. So, mm -hmm. It's amazing, yeah. the hypocrisy. Thanks, Earl. We'll see you in part two. Yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> you know, truth matters, and only the truth matters. The lies and the deceit of early Mormonism is evidence that Joseph Smith's religion, religion is not the kingdom of God. Sadly, the LDS Church not only continues to cover up the truth about so many of these things, those who talk about it are called liars. Then they turn around and twist the facts to justify those who were involved in these crimes. Can you imagine the kingdom of God behaving that way? Would Jesus do these things? Do you read things like this in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life? Would he tell anyone to do those things? God said that without holiness, no one will see God. We encourage our polygamous and Mormon viewers to turn from every doctrine that does not teach Jesus Christ alone for salvation. No temple, no polygamy, no Joseph Smith, no other name, no other person, no works, Jesus alone is our salvation. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. 
If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.